Wow, that's a great introduction. I wish I could record that and play that everywhere I go, <laughs> just to keep the record of it. Uh, the truth be known, I begged Sam to go back and to tell his folks that I really wanted to come really bad. And they were like, oh, OK. So <laughs> no, I, I've really been looking forward to being with you. And, and, and to be with you, too, um, this coming Tuesday and Wednesday. It's something that, uh, um, and I want to encourage you to, to bring some uh, uh, unbelieving friends and, and uh, you know, people that are just uh, kind of in that uh, sort of place of unsure. I, I just, I would really encourage you to do that. And people who need healing and uh, just people who need to hear God's voice and stuff, I would encourage you to do that if you can on Tuesdays, uh, this Tuesday and Wednesday. I think it's going to be a an exceptional time. Um, before I, I get started uh, too far, otherwise I'll forget to do this. We one of the things that uh, we've found is that people who, you know, churches and individuals who are really well resourced and stuff, if they have things to read and listen to again and again, have a tendency to keep doing the stuff that we're talking about and training on. And so um, your uh, bookstore is filled with lots of those uh, resources and. And I brought some, too, just in addition to that. And I just want to highlight a couple of those for you, if these are things that, uh, that you're interested. Uh, a friend of mine by the name of John Brown, um, it, he uh, wrote a book called The Rhythm of a Captured Heart. And this is just really talking about um, just when God captures your heart and how to kind of prepare yourself for that, or if you feel like you've been struggling with that, kind of how to posture yourself for God to capture your heart, but then also how to sustain that. And it's just a really good book, uh, really uh, good read on that. Uh, John did a great job on that. We have some of those uh, for you back there. Also, I did a teaching called Empowered Evangelism, and this is, um, this is a six DVD set. It's three different conferences, three different weekend conferences that I did. Uh, all compiled together. It's about eight hours of teaching and training and just uh, talking about how to hear God's voice, how to do healing, how to do deliverance, ministry, ministering God's manifest presence so people can you know, encounter him and then come to him. Let me tell you something that's so important. You have been filled up to be poured out. And, and people, many people have been you know, looking and studying over years and you know, why, why did John Wimber continually have sustainability of power in his ministry? Guys like Blaine Cook, Lonnie Frisbee, different guys like that. Why did they have that? And part of it was because all of them were really passionate evangelists. And they were, poor, they were bringing the power and presence out on the street. And that made it sustainable in their meetings and in their, uh, you know, different, different ministry things that they were doing that were within the church. And so just keep that in mind. As you've been filled up from the Lord, you're being filled up to be poured out. I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to see healing happen a lot faster, easier, quicker outside of these walls than you will in these walls. Yeah. It's true. And I know this church is passionate about the prophetic and healing and God's presence. And I'm going to tell you something. To see that grow and build and, and strengthen, I'm telling you, it, it, the more you know, that you do that outside, you're going to see more happen inside. So anyway, this is really talking about that. I also did a, a conference with Randy Clark called Empowered to Heal. Uh, this is a seven-DVD set. Uh, Randy, who was the spark plug for the Toronto Blessing in Toronto, Canada, and myself, we did this last year together. And then also, I did a, I did a teaching called uh, Dominion Restored. 
And this is talking about uh, just understanding how that what Satan stripped away from us in the garden, how that God, Jesus came to restore that which was lost, that which was stolen, and, for, and how to, for us to walk that out. And that's really what a lot of this is about. And then also my book, we've got that out there. Your bookstore has it, and we have those there for you. Let me give this to Gordon. This is Gordon Cowan. He's uh, tra traveling with me here uh, from Arizona, which makes me jealous because I live in the cold, frozen tundra of Illinois, up by the Chicago area, but he lives out in the desert where it's warm all the time. So anyway, sorry for my spouting off my jealousy and envy. <laughs> um, you know, I didn't really ask, I forgot to ask, when do, we, when do I need to wrap up? 35 minutes. Okay. Um, let, me, let me just share with you, um, we'll, get, we'll get a chance Tuesday and Wednesday. Um, and, and if you can't make those meetings, that's okay. Don't feel pressure about it. The rest of us levitate while we're here. But you, whatever you got to do, whatever sporting event you've got to attend, you just do that. But we'll, we'll just be floating around the ceiling. But you go ahead. Uh, <laughs> It really is. It really is a great uh, joy to be here and to, and to share with you guys. And how many of you are, are just, you know, you just feel that desire of Lord, you know, I just want to be used by you. I want to do more stuff for you. And and sometimes that meets with disappointment or doesn't meet your expectations or you get frustrated along the way or just feel inadequate. Anybody ever feel any of that? Can I just tell you you're qualified because you feel that? <laughs> that therefore qualifies you to go do the, what we're talking about, to go do this stuff? Um, you know, uh, it, it's, it's so amazing uh, just, you know, how much God uses us. And now we have this idea, we have this sort of concept in our minds that, you know, that there's like sort of the spiritual elite people or things like that, and God sort of smiles on them more than everybody else. We brought some people up here. I didn't get to make this statement. We brought some people up here the first service for healing, and uh, I, I was praying for Kathy for her lower back, and, and I prayed like, I don't know, five times, I think it was, and it only got down to a five. But Kathy prays for this other lady, and it goes to zero like after two or three times. So how spiritually elite am I? You know what I mean? And the reality is, is this isn't about spiritual elitism. Let me tell you something. Doing, doing the stuff Jesus did is about Christ in you. Stepping out and doing the things that he did is about Christ in you. Because all the ingredients, we stop and we look, but Jesus was Jesus, so he could do this. But who lives inside of you? Jesus. And what was the source of Jesus' power? The Bible says in Philippians that Jesus makes this... Now, you have to understand, I, I, I pastored in the hood if any of you saw Father of Lights, you, you, did, did anybody see that movie? You, you, what you were seeing in that movie was where I pass. Is, is, that happened in my church where I was leading those. We were, Todd White and my, my friend were leading uh, those gang members to Christ. All of that happened in, in our church, in our vineyard church in Aurora, Illinois, in, in my church. And, and, and so we, I passed her in the hood. So you know, I, I don't talk as really smooth and sophisticated like Chris does. I'm not as sharp and polished as he is. So give me a little grace here. You know, my, I, my language is a little bit rougher around the edges and not quite as smooth. But you know, uh, when Jesus came, the Bible says in Philippians that he makes this arrangement with the Father. And how I would say it in my church is he leaves his superhero God powers in heaven 
And he comes just like a normal man, like a normal human being, and he's empowered by the power of the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that, that you and I have available to us. And so Jesus didn't come with any greater advantage than you and I come with. So if Jesus lives in you, and you're filled with the Holy Spirit, then you have all the ingredients to do the same things Jesus did. Because all, that, all those ingredients to do the stuff he did lives inside of you. And so there's nothing to hold us back. There's nothing to hold us back from doing that other than fear that would try to hold us, and that's just Satan trying to intimidate us, or feelings of inadequacy. All of those are lies of the enemy. And so we don't, we don't have to you know, withdraw from that. But we sort of think that Jesus had this greater advantage than we do, and we sort of think, and a, a big part of that is because you know, many of us grew up in Sunday school or catechism classes and things like that. How many, how many of you grew up in church? Raise your hand if you grew up in church. You know, how, how, most of you, how many of you remember flannel graph? Like in Sunday school or catechism. You remember the flannel graph, the blue boards? And they would put the cartoon characters that would stick up to that, and they would tell the stories of Jesus. Well, my parents, they pastored in the hood, too. They pastored in, you know, kind of the ghetto area. And so all of our, all of our, all of our flannel graph was secondhand or hand-me-down flannel graph from the First Baptist Church. So growing up, all my life, I thought Peter was an amputee. <laughs> you know, it was a little tattered and torn. Somebody ripped off Peter's leg, and I was like, I never got it. I was like, you know, Jesus can multiply bread and fish, but he can't give Peter a new leg. I mean, it just never, or at least heal our flannel graph, you know. But it, it just, it, it's just what I thought. But we sort of think Jesus started his day off looking at the disciples and saying, all right, guys, come on, wake up. Let me tell you what's going to happen today. Today, we're going to head to Capernaum. On our way to Capernaum, I'm going to heal 263 people. You know, I'm going to raise a couple of guys from the dead. It's going to be amazing. Take notes. You're going to need those later, and other people will too. Just pay attention. And, and we're, we're going to go on our way to Capernaum about afternoon. I'm going to be hot, tired, thirsty, and hungry. I'm gonna be, we're going to be in Samaria. I'm going to pull off by this well, and I'm going to want uh, something to drink, and I'm going to send you guys ahead to get some lunch. And while I'm waiting there, this woman with a really bad reputation, she's going to come up, and she's going to be getting water. And I'm going to say, hey, would you give me a drink? And she goes, listen, you're a Jew. I'm you're Maritan. You're not even supposed to be talking to me. And I'm like, listen, I got water you don't even know of, and if you let it, it'll spring up inside of you, and it'll feed everybody else and bless everybody else. About that time, you guys are going to come back with the lunch. You're going to go, what are you doing talking to this woman? She's a Samaritan. You're a Jew. You're not supposed to be talking to her. We've been through all that. Where's lunch? You know, we sort of think that that's what Jesus' day looked like. But the reality is, I'm not even sure Jesus knew what was going to happen next. Why? He was just like us. The Bible says he didn't come with any greater advantage. And so if we don't know what's going to happen next, and you look at the disciples weren't totally sure what was going to happen next. And so Jesus is, if you look at some of the stuff Jesus asked them to do, it's pretty bizarre. But see, you and I have heard the stories over and over and over again, and so we've become sort of inoculated to the power of the surprise of the story. Because we anticipate what's going to happen, because we've seen that. You know what the new, blue, you know what the new uh, 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 flannel graph is? Veggie tails. VeggieTales has replaced flannel graph. That's a new flannel graph. You know what I mean? And so all of a sudden now, I, so I want us to take a look at a passage, and I want to sort of fill in the blanks of the passage. And I want you to give me a little grace to do that. Remember, I, I pastor like in the hood, you know, and, and, and so, you know, I planted our vineyard church 17 years ago. 
And, and so, you know, it's, it's sort of messed up my language a little bit and how I talk. So just give me, give me a little, you know, grace. You know, sometimes I talk to people like they're still on methadone trying to come off heroin. So give me a little <laughs> grace for that. So all of a sudden, you know, we see this passage and, and Jesus is coming in. And this is from Luke chapter 5. You want to take it up. Now, how many of you ladies know, or how many of you guys know, Luke's a man. Okay, he's a guy. Now, keep in mind, he's writing this like 75, 85 years later, so it's not like right in sequence at the time of what's taking place. But, but, and, and how many of you women know men skip details? Any ladies know that? Three of you? Any women know men in this building? You know, men just skip details. I was in Zimbabwe for two and a half weeks, and my wife picks me up at the airport, and it's like, how did it go, sweetheart? And I give her 10 minutes of what happened over two and a half weeks. Why? Because it's our job description. Men skip details. That's just what we do. So just imagine that's what's happening here. And so, and so I'm going to help fill, I'm going to help Luke out, sort of fill in the blanks as how I saw, maybe see it could have happened. So Luke chapter 5, verse 1, and we'll read from the text and then let me fill in the blanks. One day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them, and they were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, if he could push out into the water. So he sat at the boat, and he taught the crowds from there. And when he was finished speaking, he said to Simon, now, let's go out where it's deeper, and let's let down your nets, and let's get some fish. All right, that's what the text says. Will you give me a little grace to sort of tell what I think happened to fill in the blanks a little bit. Remember, Luke's a man, okay? Just give me a little grace to do that. Now, how many of you know when you're a public speaker, if you don't have a, a, you know, a PA system, you have to get distance from your crowd or, or they can't hear you? And so Jesus is being pressed. People are pushing in on him. His back's up against the water. He can't get any further away. And so the only thing he can do is he looks over and he sees some empty boats. Peter and his crew are over there cleaning their nets and they've been fishing how long? All night. How much fish have they caught? Zero. No fish. Fishermen without fish are not pleasant. These are not, you know, let me use a British word that you guys use all that. Lovely. They're not lovely. Okay? And so Peter's over there. Peter is ticked off. And I just imagine it sort of looks something like that. They're over there cleaning their nets, and Peter's like, look at all this trash in these nets. Look at all this seaweed, all this garbage. Is that a tennis shoe in that net? Get it out of there. Is that a Coke can? What are people throwing their trash in this lake for? Don't they realize we have to fish in here? We've been fishing all night long, and we've caught no fish. We need fish. I have to go home to my wife. She's going to say, where's the fish? Where's the money? I'm going to say, we don't have any fish. We don't have any money. And my mother-in-law lives with us. <laughs> She's going to say, I told you you should have married Barnabas. He's an accountant. He's bringing home a paycheck. I hate this job. Now, Luke doesn't say any of that. Just work with me. All right? About that time, Jesus steps over and says, Hey, Peter, would you lend me your boat? I imagine Peter looks back at him and says, You know what? You can have the stupid boat. I hate these boats. I hate this net. I'd sell it on eBay for five bucks if it was here yet. 
please take the boats before I chop them up and sell them as firewood. Yes, take the boat. Jesus is like, I just want to borrow your boat, man. <laughs> Peter steps in, pushes out. They go back to cleaning the nets. And right at the time that they get the nets perfectly clean. And they're hanging up to dry for the next evening's catch. And they're ready to go home and go to sleep, which they've been working hard for all night long. All of a sudden, Jesus says, hey, Peter, I've got an idea. Let's go fishing. <laughs> I imagine Peter turning to look at him going, you're not from around here, are you? You need to go build an armoire or something. You know nothing about fishing. I'm sorry, but fish are cold-blooded creatures. They go to the bottom when the sun comes out. See that yellow disc in the sky? It's called the sun. Fish go low. We live in the Middle East. That's how it works here. You know? And then all of a sudden he goes, but because you say so, we will. Because you say so, we will. And Jesus goes, all right, let's go. Can you imagine Peter trying to talk his crew back in the boats? Come on, guys, let's go out there. They're like, no, we're tired. We need to go going and getting some rest. We need to sleep for the, the next night's catch. Peter, have you lost your mind? There's no fish out there. They weren't out there last night. They're certainly not gonna be out there now. And Peter's like, oh, please, just go with me. Maybe this guy will give me a tip or something to get my mother-in-law off my back. Please come. And they're like, no, we're not going with you. And he's like, please, please, come on. And finally, they're like, all right. And they climb me back in the boat. And now all of Peter's other fishermen buddies who are standing there, and their nets are all nicely dry, they're heading home to go get some sleep. They look over, and they're like, hey, Peter, where are you going? And he's like, out there. <laughs> out where? In the lake. To do what? Go fishing. <laughs> Peter, have you lost your mind? Yes. <laughs> yes, I have. Are you crazy? Hey, everybody, crazy Peter's going fishing again. He's listening to the carpenter that thinks he's a rabbi. He's nuts. Look at him. And Peter's like, oh. This is a row of shame. As he rows out to the middle of the lake. And then he gets out in the middle and he's like, all right, you want to see what fishing looks like? We'll show you. You take your nets that are all clean, thank you very much, drop them over the side of the boat, and you wait for fish that aren't there. But this is at least what it looks like because you want to listen on fishing. And then Jesus goes, Peter, <laughs> I know what's wrong. You see, you have your net on the wrong side of the boat. <laughs> if you simply lift your net up and put it on the other side of the boat, <laughs> you'll catch fish. And Peter's like, really? <laughs> really? Excuse me, you really think six, eight feet over, right under the brim of the water, there are fish under there going, 
they have their nets over there. They don't know we're over here. Shh. They'll never know. Trust me, Jesus, that's not happening. But because you say so, we will. Come on, guys. They're like, no, Peter, don't do it. Don't do it. And Peter's like, come on, pull the nets up. And they're like, no, Peter. And they pull the nets up and they drop them. With, and all of a sudden, the guy's back at shore like, Peter, what are you doing? You think there's fish on the other side of the boat? No. No, I don't. What are you doing, Peter? Are you crazy? Yes, I am. And then Peter drops the nets over there and says, see, what did you see? I told you, there's a fish. And all of a sudden, he's getting pulled over. He's like, okay, oh, we got fish. Pull that net up. They pull the nets up. They dump the fish in. He's like, drop it down again. They drop it down again. Pull it up. They pull it up. There's more fish. Drop it down again. And he's like, they were under there all night, <laughs> laughing at us the entire time. And then all of a sudden, it hits Peter. He's got another boat back at shore. And he's like, hey, get that boat out here. We got fish. And they're coming running out, and all of his buddies are like, crazy Peter was right. There are fish out there. They're jumping in their boats now, and they're coming out. Bible says, both boats full of fish. And they barely make it back to shore. What did Peter want? Fish. What did Jesus give him? Fish. The Bible says Peter climbs out of the boat. All of a sudden it hits him. What happened? Peter realized, I'm a professional fisherman. I know my trade. I have the skills to catch fish. And none of that worked last night because Peter realized the difference was the presence that was in the boat the presence in the boat my friends makes all the difference you see Peter's boat represented his life and when Jesus said Peter will you lend me your boat he was speaking of his life and it hits Peter and the Bible says he crawls out of his boat and he drops to the ground. And he goes, Jesus, you're too good. I'm too bad. Best thing you could do right now, Jesus, is just go away from me. I shouldn't be this close to you. I'm too bad of a person. If you stick around me, I'll disappoint you. I, I disappoint everybody. Yeah, Jesus, just, just go now. That's the best thing that can happen here. Jesus looks and he goes, oh, Peter, you don't get it. I didn't make you to catch people, that fish. I made you to catch people. I made you, Peter, for the big catch. You've just been going after minnows your whole life. I made you for the big catch. And then Jesus looks at Peter and he says something that's quite unprofound. He says, hey, Peter, 
follow me. Have you ever noticed there's not much of a pitch in that? Have you ever noticed there's not much there? Hey, follow me. But the Bible says Peter abandons the boats, the nets, the fish. Probably the very thing he'd been crying out to God for all night long the night before. He just walks away from to follow Jesus. Guys, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. But when Jesus said, lend me your boat, he was saying, you lend me your life and you let me put my presence on your life. We'll catch more than you could ever catch on your own. Because that picture that day of those boats, those nets, and that fish, that was a prophetic picture that would be fulfilled in the future in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost when Peter stood up and the presence filled his boat and thousands came running at the sound of the Spirit. Thousands came running at the sound of the presence. Will you lend him your boat? Will you lend him your boat when it doesn't make sense? To go pray for your neighbor or to pray some, for somebody in the middle of the grocery store where everybody's watching? Or to go and, 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 and pray for a coworker that you're going to have to see a day, a day in and day out? Will you lend him your boat? Years ago, we were, like I said, a pastor in the hood, and we had this guy who came to our church, and, or this, his girlfriend, actually, and this guy was the number two leader in the Latin Kings. The Latin Kings is the largest gang in Chicagoland, outside of the mafia. And... Um, her name was Elena, and his street name was Hitler. And um, he was a killer. Everybody knew it in the neighborhood. And so she started coming to our church. And I remember one day I got up, and every year I do a talk on sex. And basically the summation of the talk is that God created sex for marriage. That's how God blesses sex and what he blessed you know, in marriage for. And that sex outside of marriage is sin. Marriage, according to the scriptures, between a man and a woman. And anything outside of that is not God's best for you. And God wants to bless you with a good, healthy sexual life. And that happens only in marriage. And so uh, Elena went home to Hitler. They were living together. They weren't married. And she tells him, she goes, Hitler, I'm not having sex with you anymore. Because Robbie said... Sex outside of marriage is sin, and it breaks God's heart. And I'm not going to break God's heart. But you can imagine what happened. All of a sudden, you know, just this warm feeling came over Hitler. Tears began to come down his face. He said, I love Robbie. We're going to do whatever that man says. I, I wish that's what happened. He looks at her, and he got infuriated. He goes, you go tell that preacher I'm coming to his church. I'm going to sit on the front row next Sunday. And if he doesn't get up and take it back and say he's wrong, I'm going to pop him in the head in front of this whole congregation. And she called me, and she was crying, and she says, Robbie, you can't get up and preach. And I was supposed to do part two. 
And she goes, you can't get up and preach. She goes, Robbie, he'll do it. He's a killer. He'll do it. She goes, please. She goes, have Carlos Lopez, the worship pastor, get up instead. <laughs> and I was like, that's your plan? He gets popped in the head instead of me? You know? I said, no. I said, here's the deal. I said, don't tell anybody. Because I said, I don't want people. I said, he's not going to show up. He's just mouthing off. He's mad. I said, he'll, he'll chill out. He'll cool off. Just, just don't worry about it. She goes, Robbie, he won't. I said, he will. Just don't stress. Don't worry about it. Everything will be fine. I said, but don't tell anybody because I don't want people getting scared. So the next Sunday, I'm, I'm sort of in my office pulling some stuff together and just praying and just you know, kind of getting my thoughts uh, together. And Carlos, our worship pastor, who had come out of that same gang, you know, uh, he comes running into my office and he's like, dude, that, that, that means pastor. And <laughs> he's like, dude, he goes, he goes, Hitler's here. He's downstairs. He's sitting on the front row and he's strapping. He's, he's carrying a gun. And he goes, dude, don't ask me to disarm him. And I was like, no, I said, just leave him alone. And he goes, he goes, he goes, what are we going to do? And I said, dude, I said, here's the deal. I said, tell the person who's doing announcements, I'm doing announcements instead. I said, because I don't want anybody to get hurt. He goes, you want to do worship too? And I was like, no, you're doing worship. <laughs> and I said, but tell him I'm doing announcements instead. And I said, but here's the deal. I said, don't tell anybody. I said, I said he, he's probably not going to do anything. He's just probably bluffing us. And I said, don't, don't worry about it. He goes, dude, I know Hitler. He is not bluffing us. And I was like, well, just chill. I said, you know, we're just going to trust the Lord here. And, and so we went down, and I got up. And I, I, I wish I could say that I was super confident and bold and all this. But I got up, and I'm like, welcome to the vineyard. <laughs> you know, it's so good to have you here today. God bless everybody who's here. And I was moving a little bit faster. We've got donuts here, coffee there. We're going to have children's ministry here, here, bathrooms back. I mean, if he's going to take a shot, I'm going to be a moving target. <laughs> I'm not going to make it easy for him. And he's sitting right on the second row, and the whole time, he just had his head cocked to the side, and he was looking kind of straight ahead. I would move this way and this way, and his eyes would never move. And I was like, what is going on? But he never moved. He just was like this the whole time. And I kept looking down, and I'm preaching, and I do part two. I didn't change any of my notes or anything. But I'm watching him in case I need to hit the deck, you know? <laughs> And then all of a sudden, the service is, is over, and we do our worship at the end. We do one song at the beginning, our worship at the end. And so I called the worship team back up, and Carlos was like, yeah. <laughs> And so at the end of worship, I get up from ministry time, and I said, all right, if anybody wants ministry, we had a few words of knowledge for healing and, and some prophetic words. But I kept watching him, and then, and then slowly but surely, all of a sudden, he goes, and he just gets up, and he walks out quietly. And I was like, What's up? It was bizarre. And then several weeks passed, and, 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 they, and I called Elena and said, hey, what, what did he say happened? And she goes, he won't talk about it. She didn't come to church because she was scared. And she goes, all he says is, that place is weird. Those people are weird. I don't want to talk about it. He wouldn't tell me anything that happened. She goes, what did he do? I said, nothing. And I told her what happened. She goes, that's strange. She goes, but he won't tell me. Several weeks passed, and... The city of Aurora had, had been working on sort of a sting operation, and they arrested 23 of the top Latin king uh, leaders throughout the entire Chicagoland area. And Hitler was the number two guy, or the number one guy they were after. They had six charges of murder against him. 
And so his brother, whose his street name is Pistol Pete, he came to the church the next Sunday after they had done the arrest. And I told him, I said, dude, I said, you go tell Hitler, I want to come see him in prison. And he goes, he doesn't want to see you. And he's a, he's a drug dealer. And I said, I said dude, I said, I, he says, and I can't get word to him anyway. He's in lockdown. And I said, don't lie to me. I said, tell him I'm going to come see him Thursday. And he says, okay. And so he got word to him. I went, I went there the next Thursday. And they bring him in, and he's shackled, and his legs are shackled. And, and he comes in, and when, as soon as he walked in the room, I'd never seen anybody so angry in my entire life. I mean, his, you know, he was just, you could see this fury all over him. And he comes shuffling in, and he sits down, and he says, what do you want? And I said, well, I want to talk to you. And he goes, well, I got a question for you. And I was like, you do? And he goes, yeah. He goes, what did you do to me that day I came to your church? And I said, what are you talking about? He goes, I was going to pop you in the head in front of your whole church if you didn't take that back. He goes, but as soon as I sat down, I was frozen and I couldn't move. <laughs> and he goes, did you hex me? And I said, no, dude, I, I didn't hex you. I said, I said, Hitler, I said, here's the deal. I said, that was God keeping you from doing something stupid. I said, here's the deal, man. And I just used basic street terms. I said, Hitler, God has made this life for you. The life you were intended and born to live. But you've made this other life for you that's all jacked up and twisted and messed up. And I said, it's landed you here in prison. And that was never God's plan. He has this designer life that was intended for you. But you've settled for this other thing, and it's landed you here. And I said, here's a deal Jesus has on the table for you. I said, he's saying, let's do an exchange. I'll take the jacked up life, and I'll give you the life you were always designed to live. I said, that's the deal Jesus is offering you here today. And I shared some scriptures with him and some additional things, and I said, Hitler, that's the deal Jesus has on the table. How do you want to respond to Jesus? He looks at me and he pushes back from the table and he goes, that deal's not for me. Because that deal's for people like you and Mother Teresa and Billy Graham because that deal's not for me. He goes, Robbie, he goes, they think they know what I've done. He goes, six murders. He says, that's not even half of them. He goes, they don't know anything. He said, I've gone too far. He goes, that deal's not for me. I looked at him, I said, Hitler, I know what you're thinking. I said, but you don't understand, man. I said, you see this portion of the Bible? I said, this portion of the Bible is called the New Testament. I said, we call this the Holy Word of God. I said, half of this portion of the Bible, Hitler, was written by a murderer. He murdered God's own people. And Jesus chose him to write what we call Holy Scripture. And see, it's the words of Jesus. I said, the first five books of this entire book was written by a murderer. And Jesus chose him. So Hitler, don't you see the deal? Still on the table. And he looked at me and he drops his head and he just began to weep. He said, I'll take his brother told me later, he goes, you saw my brother cry? I said, yeah. He goes, Robbie, he goes, I remember when he was six years old. And my stepdad, watching my stepdad beat him till he was nearly dead. 
and he never shed one tear. He said, I've never seen my brother laugh either. You saw him cry. And right there, we prayed, and I saw this hard murderer just give his life to Jesus and take the life that Jesus always intended him to live. And all of a sudden, after the prayer, he just lifts his head. It was like right out of the book, Pilgrim's Progress. He rolls his shoulders, and this huge smile came across his face. And he started giggling like a little kid. And he goes, it's gone. He goes, it's gone. I said, Hitler, what's gone? He goes, all the anger, all the rage, all the shame, all the hatred. He said, it just snapped right off my back as soon as I said that prayer. He said, it's all gone. I looked at him and I said, oh, Hitler. I said, Jesus has the most incredible life for you. About the time the guard comes in, and he goes, all right, it's time to go back to your cell. And he jumps up and he goes, yes, sir. And the guard's like, what? <laughs> I went back every week and I would sit there with my Bible and, and he could barely read. So he only had this children's picture Bible that I bought for him. And he would look at these little cartoons and, and characters in it. And we would go through, we talk about forgiveness, we talk about repentance, we talk about following Jesus, even when it's hard, doing the right thing, even when it's hard to do, even when it hurts. And he would just look at these goofy little pictures in this children's picture Bible. And one day he looked up from his Bible and he goes, Robbie, he said, I gotta get my story out. And I said, what do you mean, Hitler? And he goes, because Robbie people don't know how far Jesus will go for them. He goes, I don't know. He said, I don't think anybody's telling them. He says, they don't know that you could hate God. You could hate a man. God sent that very man to come tell you the greatest news you've ever heard. Because I don't think people know that, Robbie. I don't know if anybody's telling them. 